right, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2. Once again, we're going to visit this very important story in the book of Mark. These five competencies, five aspirations to achieve. Uh, we've covered four of the five. Today we finish out. We worship with our lives. We gather to go to the need. We teach to transform, we disciple in motion, and we embrace the future. Of all these five, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus and you've been stuck in a rut, or you want to have a new era of fruitfulness in your life, it may be that embracing the future is the key to a new day for you. And I think it is vitally important that we have an attitude that embraces the future as a congregation, as individuals, that we are looking forward to what God is going to do, that we are not noted for hatred and anger as the people of God, but that we are noted for hope and faith and love, that these are the hallmarks of our walk with Christ, our reputation in the world. And you only achieve that as you look forward with expectation to a day that's coming. I want us to read together again Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, all right? A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the, par the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fella talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The story ends with a startled outburst of the crowd. We've never seen anything like this. This is both a faithful observation and a hopeful expectation of a future filled with positive possibilities. Something new happened to these people, in the presence of Jesus that day. They'd, 
Never seen anything like it. He expanded their world. He changed their perspective of the world and of their future. Coalesced around the need of their friend and their faith in Jesus, four men discovered the awesome power of the Son of Man. The truth sets them free and changes how they see their lives from this day forward. As I revisit this story and look at the people in it, I think I've got some decisions to make. As an individual follower of Jesus, seeking to experience what happens in the house that day, watching that man get up and go out of that door, seeing those four fellows on the roof. I think I've got to join one of these groups that's in this story. There are several of them. And I'd like to just point a few out. There's this clueless crowd that's part of the story. They come to hear Jesus. They're working their way as close as they can get to him. They want to hear what he has to say. And they are not clued in to what's going on with the paralyzed man or his four friends. They fill up every room, every door, every window, and they can't get the paralyzed man to Jesus because of this crowd. If you are somebody who loves a good story and you just want to hear it, maybe this crowd is for you. Peculiar though it is, there are some fellows sitting in the middle of the house in the very best seats. They're sitting on the front row. They're not standing in a window. They're not standing in a doorway. They are seated. They are the sitting critics. You may ask yourself, well, how in the world did these fellows find a seat? Maybe they arrived very, very early and got their seat. No. They're sitting because they're the most important people in town. And when they showed up, the crowd opened up for them and let them in. They made their way to the front row. And other people who might have been sitting there got out of their way and let them sit down. They are the leaders in their community. They are the religious elite. And they today are the sitting critics. You know, the psalm says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The longer I live, the more I learn about the seat of the scornful. There are people who just sit. They sit. They look, and in their hearts, they criticize. They make fun. Who does this guy think he is? They are saying in their hearts. I mean, what is going on here? That's what's going on in their hearts as they sat there. And when I reflected on this today, I thought, you know, there might even be people in the crowd this very morning who are almost every Sunday the sitting critics. 
comfortably stationed in their place, watching as other people do things, carry people, lower them down from the ceiling. And they just sit there and watch and criticize. Nothing so immobilizes a human being as scorn. Nothing so sits him down in a sedentary place as an attitude of heart that criticizes. Sometimes I think there are the critics and there are the carriers. An old preacher told me once, he said, the people who kick don't give. And the people who give don't kick. It's a generalization. If you enjoy the argument, the exchange, the debate, whether or not you ever come to a good answer, you might want to join the sitting critic on the front row. And then there's another group And they are highlighted in the story. They are the heroes. I tried to come up with a name for them. I finally called them the busy servants, okay? I wanted there to be alliteration somewhere, but I couldn't get it, all right? So you got the clueless crowd, you got the sitting critics, and you got these busy servants. Now, these busy servants have missed the meeting so that their paralyzed friend can get there. I doubt they hear much of what Jesus says through the whole thing, even when they're on the roof and they've got a hole made. I don't know that they can really hear him. But they've sacrificed their place in the door. They haven't jockeyed for position with the crowd. They've decided they're going to do something entirely different. They're going to carry their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They're the busy servants. And you know what? People like me and you have been talking about these four guys for 2,000 years. We've been telling the story again and again how they opened that ceiling up and let down their paralyzed friend. And the amazing thing that happened, their story, these four men, It has been heralded around the world in every country all these years. They are the heroes. Why? Why? Because they expected that something good would happen. And they decided to take action instead of sitting to criticize or just standing to hear. They wanted to do something. If you want to do something, join a group on the roof. Right? If you want to do something, join the group on the roof. Now, you're going to have to choose your attitude to do it. You join a group, and then you choose your attitude. And I say, 
choose your attitude because I believe there's more volition in attitude than we are willing to admit. In other words, I think that often we are indeed choosing to be the mully-grubbin, critical, angry, hateful person that we've ended up being. We've made a choice. Somehow we've decided that life is like that and we're going to reflect how life really is. And people who are singing on their way, they just don't know the real truth about the world. And so we've chosen an attitude. I know there are folks that don't want to hear about choosing your attitude because they think everything is imposed upon them. And by deciding that somebody else is responsible for how they feel, they're no longer responsible for it. So, I mean, they didn't create it. Somebody else did. Mom or dad or employers or friends or somebody that betrayed them. And now the attitude they have is something they've been given. It's been imposed upon them and they're not responsible for it. I do not believe in that proposition, friends, okay? I don't believe that's how your mind, soul, and spirit work. I don't believe you can lay off on somebody else a rotten attitude that plagues your mind and heart. I don't think you can say that somebody else that did that to me. I think you choose your attitude. And you've got an opportunity today to turn it around, be in a different group, and have a different attitude. If you will look at those four faces staring at Jesus down through that hole in the ceiling, the Holy Spirit will prompt your heart to a new outlook. So, what's going on with these guys on the roof? Well, one thing's for sure. They have faith. And I put in parentheses, determination. They are determined. These fellas not only are rebuffed by the crowd, but... They are also faced with a, with a roof that they've got to dig through. At every turn, they're being challenged with this goal they have in mind to get their friend to Jesus. And when Jesus looks up at them, he sees their faith. Faith matters a lot to Jesus. How much faith do you have? Are you a person of faith? Are you characterized by faith? Jesus had a question. He said, when the Son of Man comes, that is at the end of the age, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith? Will you be trusting him? Do you have faith? It's an amazing thing what faith can do. Faith opened up the ceiling in this house. Faith takes the limits off our imagined future. Faith takes the blinders off our ability to see. 
Faith changes the way we look at ourselves and our circumstances. Faith has the power to redirect your energies, to realign your goals and to make you a different kind of person in the world. In fact, you've only got two choices, really, walking around on this planet. You can either believe there's a good God who loves you, cares for you, and is involved in your life, or you can refuse to believe it. Those are your two choices. It's real simple. You're going to choose to believe that the God who made you and designed you, loves you, cares for you, is walking with you in your journey? If you will have faith, it will change your future. It will change your attitude to believe that God is involved with you in the circumstances you are now in. Faith, the determination to look forward, to move forward. Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind, I'm pressing where? Forward to the things that are before. Faith is future-oriented. It believes in a good God who made things in the past, but it faces toward the future toward which we are going. My mother has had a rough time this last year. My father died in December and she has grieved and cried and memorized scripture by the way she says my greatest shelter and comfort is in God's word and she has memorized Psalm 27 which she quoted to me she's going to be 81 okay she memorized the book of James she's working on several other passages I said mom have you got a good book that has helped you through this time? You know what she said? Read Norman Wright's book. Your tomorrows can be different than your yesterdays. Would you hear my mother? Your tomorrow can be different than your yesterdays, sister. You don't have to live in this pattern of difficulty and distress and fear. Your tomorrows can be different than your yesterdays. Your path is not written somewhere in the stars. Fate has not locked you into a road. Your tomorrows can be different. How? If you will trust the God who brought you into being. The attitude you choose, faith and hope. These guys had in them a hope of the future for their friend. A faith that never ends, a hope that never dies. Hope is so powerful in you. You don't want to be living your life waiting for somebody else to die, do you? Hoping you'll get the call tomorrow. You don't want to live your life waiting for yourself to die. Just retiring out of all activity and putting it in cruise control. Hope is powerful. Hope takes away the shame. Hope opens up your future. 
Your hope is in Christ. It's not simply in this world. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most to be pitied, he said. It's not just hope in the here and now. It's a hope that goes all the way into the future with God at the kingdom that Jesus talked about. Sitting down at the banquet seat one day with Jesus. It's a hope for the present and the future. A hope that transforms how I see things now. Faith and hope. These are attitudes you choose. They are things you claim. You draw them into yourself because you are a believer in Jesus. And love. Why are these guys on the roof? They care about their friend. They believe Jesus can help him. They've gotten up on that roof out of a love for somebody else. It's amazing what loving your neighbor, loving somebody else, will do for you, put you in, and get you toward. They never would have been on that roof if it hadn't been for love. I've been thinking about the distinctions between faith, hope, and love. And in this life, they're hard for me to separate. It's like loving God with all your heart is the same thing that believing in Jesus as Lord is. It's like faith and love are woven together in an attitude of expectation and trust. It's like hope is embedded in the heart. What is it, in fact, that distinguishes the attitude that looks forward to the future? And sees the possibilities that God can bring about. And trusts him. It's a firm reliance on God himself. Trusting him with all your heart. Turning to him in your need. And letting love be your guide. There's the crowd that does not know. They're even refusing the sick man. There are the critics that have no interest in the sick man other than some theological questions they got. They don't really want to be around sickness, those sitting critics. You know, seeing sick people, I mean, that makes them feel weird. Um, If they get around too much sickness, they feel unclean themselves, and so they don't really want to go to the hospital or be around paralyzed people. That's not their thing to do. In fact, for the priests, they can't even touch a dead body or they can't go do their work so jesus is continually touching lepers and being involved with the sick and for the critics on the front row that's just a difficult thing they just don't really have much interest in it but the guys on the roof they picked up their paralyzed man friend they they put him on that cot they carried him to the meeting that day faith hope and love I see these as the distinguishing qualities of an attitude that God gives us and changes your future and they are mentioned together in 1 Corinthians 13 the love chapter there at the end of the chapter Paul writes and now remain these three things faith hope and love as if they are the enduring qualities that humans enjoy in their heart. And then he says, the greatest of these is love.
And when I get to the greatest of these, and I think about, okay, if love is the greatest of these, then love is what's going on in the house this day. Not just on the roof with those four friends, but Jesus who looks at people and loves them. Did you ever read that about Jesus? How he just looks at somebody and loves them? He looked at the young ruler and he he loved him. And people who were in trouble and in despair, they sensed the love of Christ. The biggest love going on this day is, is Jesus is in the house. And he loves the guys on the roof and the fellows on the front row and the crowd that doesn't know what's going on and the paralyzed man in the mat. He loves them all. And he loves you. And the third thing you've got to do is trust the Son of Man. Join the group. Choose your attitude and trust the Son of Man. Isn't it interesting how Jesus brings up the title right here at the front end of the Gospel of Mark that he is the Son of Man? But that you may know that who? The Son of Man has what? Authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man does it. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. It's an intriguing title, isn't it? Do you know it appears 93 times in the book of Ezekiel? Where God says to Ezekiel, son of man, son of man, son of man, over and over and over again. Son of man, go do this, go do that, say this to the people. And when you read it in Ezekiel, it's as if Ezekiel is man in his weakness, in his infirmity. But then you get to Daniel, who also uses the term, and I want to read for you Daniel seven thirteen and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When Jesus was being quizzed at the end of the book of Mark by his executioners about who he was, they asked him, are you the son of the blessed one? Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one, they said to him? And Jesus replied to them, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He quotes Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, as he says to them, yes, and you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. When Jesus uses the Son of Man term, he's talking about the kingdom. He has all authority and sovereign power, just like Daniel says. All peoples, nations, and men will worship him. His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom will never be destroyed. That's who's in the house that day. That's Jesus of Nazareth. In the middle of the crowd, in front of his critics. On the spot by the faith of those four men that you may know that the Son of Man who one day will come on the clouds of heaven, whose kingdom will last forever, who has all power and glory and sovereign authority, so that you may know 
that today in your life, He has authority to forgive your sin. That's why the man got up and walked out of that room. So you would know that you have one to turn to in your trouble and distress, in the shame and guilt you feel, that can actually do something about it and change your future forever. His name is Jesus. I want you to meet him as Savior. One day, you'll meet him as judge. All judgment, Jesus says, has been committed to the Son. Let's bow together. Somebody here needs to come running to Jesus, trusting Him with your life, confessing your sin, receiving His wonderful forgiveness. He loves to forgive. Maybe there's somebody who's saying, Oh, I, I can't be forgiven. I've done too much. Not so. Not so. If you are ready to repent, He is ready to forgive. He loves to forgive. If you already know him, but you've been caught in a cycle of, of defeat and despair, could I encourage you, brother, sister, to see that your tomorrows can be different than your yesterdays? That God has the power to change what's going on inside of you, to give you a new future. Lord, we pray today for those who need to trust you so that one day they can sit down with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray today will be the day when they receive forgiveness of sin and turn to you for salvation. God, I pray for Christians in the room who are struggling with all kinds of things. Lord, that we might see in you the answer to our need, no matter what it is, and come running to trust you as King of kings and Lord of lords. God, let us do it. Call us to yourself. Make our tomorrows different than our yesterdays, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.